0: Hello and welcome to the B2B Sales Playbook Podcast, brought to you, as always, by Lead Forensics. I am your host, Joe Ducaro. In this podcast, I pick your brains of industry experts, innovators, and sales leaders to draw up a series of playbooks full of actionable tips and tricks for you to take away and run with. For this, the Communicating with Buyers Playbook, I was joined by Pete Murphy, Global Sales Director at Nebula Global Services. Pete was a wonderful guest on the B2B Sales Playbook and offers up some vital advice to implement when it comes to effective communication. So, without further ado, here is Pete Murphy on the Communicating with Buyers Playbook. Let's start off with a very basic, very straightforward question, Pete. Why is effective communication with buyers important and what impact can it have on a business?
1: Great question. I think it's critical for several reasons. First and foremost, it helps you to establish trust and credibility, build strength in a relationship which can lead to repeat business and with that individual, but also they'll champion you into the rest of the business as well, which means your communication has done some business development as well. When buyers feel like they're being heard and that their concerns are being addressed, they're more likely to develop a positive perception of you personally, but also your organization and the services and the products that. That you have to offer. People buy with emotion and feeling, and and if I think the reason why effective communication is so important is to build that that trust and that strength of bond, so that particular buyer or customer keeps coming back to you. Effective communication means that you're asking the right questions in a sort of consultative manner, getting really deep down into the pain points of that particular customer, and listening and engaging in, in meaningful conversations. You get to sort of really gain valuable insights as to what solution you need to create to meet those specific needs that you've been told are the problem. And I just think that's sales 101. That's the style of selling that I've had taught to me and developed within the sales teams that I've run. And yeah, it's really important to do that. Another angle of effective communication is post the sale. If something goes wrong, effective communications can help you resolve those issues in a professional way. At Nebula, a lot of our services that we deliver are people- delivering those services and invariably things go wrong when there's humans involved as I'm sure the listeners (laughs) and yourself know but when it does a customer expects a prompt and effective response and communicated is often the time when you really truly prove your worth as a a partner or a customer because anyone can tell a good story leading up to the sale because you're trying to influence them to buy something from you but your reputation is built on what you do when it goes wrong. Nebula was as an organization and me as an individual very much someone that rolls their sleeves up and is on the front line helping put something right if it goes wrong so long-winded answer to your question but i think there are key points around why communication is so important and obviously you've demonstrated some examples of how that can have an impact on your business but also your customer's business
0: absolutely something interesting that you touched on there is that i think when you mentioned if something fingers crossed it doesn't but if something does go wrong i think more the more frustrating part of something going wrong is I feel like we can all understand that a mistake's been made, an an I's not been dotted, a T's not been crossed. But if you're not told what's going on at relevant and appropriate moments, if you aren't being given that information of, okay, is my problem being resolved? That's when the real frustration sets in, I think.
1: Yeah, I think customers assume that silence means something's wrong. And in my industry, where it's a very service-led industry and in technology, it's good to almost over communicate because all customers and end clients want to know is what the latest is. And even if the latest isn't the final destination or the good news that they want, to allow them to just be at least armed with the truth and the latest truth is most important. So you're totally right.
0: Now, something you did touch on as well was about building trust and people buying through emotions. It's a thing that has come up pretty much on every podcast I've ever done for Lead Friends. Yeah, I'm sure it has. That shows how important it is. <laughs> exactly. So what, in your mind, are there some strategies for building that sort of trust, that credibility?
1: Yeah, I think there's a few things. I think active listening is something that is probably undervalued a lot of the sales meetings that I've been in the past, and I've done it myself as well. You're so keen to get to the point and the outcome that you want is that you don't really listen intently and you're almost trying to jump in and get to the answer that you think is the one that that you want to go off and then be able to present your product or your service active listening is a paying close attention to the buyer asking those clarification questions providing feedback to prove that you've listened demonstrate the understanding and that in itself builds trust and credibility responsiveness so again i'm very thorough when it comes to if i've had a call like this or a face-to-face meeting and i've had actions responsiveness and following up, I think that really proves and shows your customer how valued they are and how much you want to do business with them. So whether that's an email, a phone call, another follow-up session, that just shows reliability and attention, attentiveness to, to, to them as a potential customer. Uh, and another sort of strategy that, that we do we use quite well at, at Nebula is, is using personalized communication. We might end up talking about sort of automation and things like that within this podcast because it's a really interesting subject that is on my mind and, and Nebula's mind a lot. And transparency as well. I think that building that rapport, being open and honest, there's a lot of organizations, and since COVID, people have had a chance to really drill down into the truth of who can deliver what and how. So I think transparency is really important as well. And another big thing that we do at Nebula, and me personally, in terms of building rapport, is spending time with your customer outside of the sort of professional environment as well. It's quite incredible. What people share when they're in a place of comfort, whether it's on the golf course or in the pub or doing something social, the walls and the barriers come down a little bit. And I think that to have those conversations where the guard is dropped and they don't not only share what their challenges and goals are, is that you share the same back, and that then that sort of uh, that bond strengthens when you share the good, the bad, the ugly, and leave yourself a little bit vulnerable. So that I think is important too.
0: Absolutely. I had Mike Manzi on at the start of this year and he was talking about exactly that. The key to what he found was winning was was showing that vulnerability.
1: Yeah. And I really like him, by the way. I came across him about a year ago on, on TikTok. I've just admitted I'm on TikTok, but I follow a lot <laughs> of
0: business and sales pages and I actually came across him a while ago. So great guy. Let's go to that, the automation piece that you'd started to speak on then. You, you mentioned that for Nebula, it was something that was particularly interesting to you at the minute. Mm. In what sense is it at the forefront of your mind then? Yeah,
1: so it's a really hot topic within the Nebula board at the moment and something that we're researching and thinking about quite extensively. As an organisation, we pride ourselves on that sort of white glove, touch and feel sales approach. And to potentially use technology to automate that feels... Like it could be dangerous if it's not thought through properly because you lose that emotional connection and what makes us different. Uh, But there's definitely a place for automation. Things like self-serve pricing tools and email automation for transactional customers and chatbots and those sort of things. But I've been looking at something that feels like a sort of happy balance, which is the use of sort of video and interactive content when engaging and communicating with our customers I was at a seminar out in the US back end of last year and it was about accelerating sales teams with automation tools. And there was one particular one called Loom. I don't know if you've come across it before, Joe, but...
0: I've heard of Loom, yeah. Yeah,
1: it's really cool because rather than just... If I'm sending a proposal to a customer, rather than just send the usual email with an attachment of an Excel sheet or a PDF, this Loom tool allows you to have it yourself in the top corner it's pre-recorded and you send it as a as an email but with a, a link and it's pre-recorded when you're in the top corner and you're explaining the proposal and you're going through the quote on the screen and it's just really intuitive I liked that it allows us to disrupt the norm of communicating and add that sort of personal touch without moving away from the thing that makes us different I use it after this, uh, this seminar I actually used it for a couple of our bigger proposals and it went down really well and like I say for me it was a sort of perfect balance. With, of using technology without losing that personal touch. But but yeah, it's, I think a lot of organizations now that people are, are, are using the web to, to, to buy pretty much everything you could possibly think of. But in a service-led organization where emotion and relationships and what you're selling is a service, so it's not a physical object that you can look at and, and buy, you're, you're buying trust basically in an outcome. Mm-hmm. With that, it's really tough to just completely automate that. For us to stay relevant and current and disruptive, we're just having lots of thought around how we make our customers self-efficient, but like I say, not losing that that personal touch and why people love Nebula.
0: What you were saying about the, the sort of the video, it reminded me of something. We had Aaron Evans from Flow State did a webinar with us earlier this year, and he said that he really enjoys that sort of interaction with the videos and sort of thing. But he said the phone was invented. <laughs> we killed phone sales. The yeah. email was invented. Yeah, killed email. I just, I just hope we don't do that with videos. (laughs) No,
1: we've used it to death for the last three years because we've had to, and (laughs) there's certainly a place for it that people have accepted. And that's another thing, you know, relating back to effective communicating. When COVID first came in and everyone was at home, Teams was a godsend. One because it meant you could do what you were a lot of what you were doing usually in the office at home. But for me and what I'm sure thousands of your listeners have, have saw as well was that you could start building a bit of a personal rapport as well because everyone had a background that showed something on the wall that related to their favorite football team or their pets or interests. And it just allowed you to break down those professional barriers a little bit and get to know the person behind the email address and the, behind the, the the role of that business. And I think that, again, one of the big things that I learned a lot in, in the past was about mirroring and taking an interest in what people care about so that, again, there's that sort of alignment that was a big opportunity for everyone to do that during COVID. But me personally, I'm very much a meet-up face-to-face. And if we weren't six hours apart, Joe, we'd have done that today, I'm sure. But you know, that, that's where you can really truly you can get a feel for someone and see their body language and look into their eyes and really care about the responses that they're given and what it is that they're having challenges with or goals that they've got. So, yeah
0: absolutely it just breaks down so many barriers isn't it just the facial recognition of course um, something i did want to talk to you about and i'm asking a lot about what people think about ai at the minute because i'm just trying to get different opinions from all of my podcast guests how do you think ai is going to be implemented with because we've spoken about automation and, and bits and pieces there how, what effect do you think ai is going to have particularly for service service businesses like nebula services what are the implications of using ai there
1: yeah, I think, again, going back to our business model, which is global services, where pretty much all of our portfolio is delivered and driven by by humans. So there's only so much that we can automate or can be automated that could affect our ability to to deliver what we do. The fact that the cloud became prevalent and, and everyone was putting the technology in the cloud, there was a concern initially that would mean that there wouldn't be any physical hardware Anywhere to to install and support, and it would take away all this opportunity for service organizations. Well, that's very not very much not been the case. Even when things are in the cloud, there's, there needs to be physical technology to, to to store data in certain scenarios and connected networks and things like that. You're going to have routers, switches, wireless. So I think AI is going to have its place, but to enhance what it is that service organizations like Nebula do, and I think it will be more driven towards how we extrapolate and use data to our advantage and to our customer's advantage to get to, to make better business decisions. And that's where again, IOT, for example, that's very much an AI automated type technology that initially when I first started learning about it, I wondered what that would take away from us. But if anything, because of our global scale and breadth, then the types of IOT technology and devices like sensors and thermometers that are still physical objects that need to be deployed and supported and managed, it's, I think as as much as automation and AI will progress, and we're seeing some unbelievable things, it'll always mean that there's an additional reason for a services organisation to exist to to complement that with physical on-site global engineers, technical consultants that do the design, and I and I just think there'll always be things that AI and automation just won't be able to do. And then going back to the relationship side of things and what people buy with emotion, which I said earlier, that there will always be a place for for that outside of
0: that being automated a hundred percent i think it's important to remember that at this point chat gpt and all that sort of things what they do brilliantly is mimicry right like a parrot does that doesn't mean the parrot has any understanding of the noises it's making it just spurs out in fact i had uh saline schillinger on a few weeks ago who she's written a book called uh, dare to unlead and she was saying that she detected that an email had come through to and she was like that's definitely automated so she just got rid of it so yeah, it just, it just shows that because there was no personal touch point, it's yeah. not necessarily the shortcut yeah. that we might think it is.
1: And there'll be software that will detect if something's been regurgitated from ChatGPT. And I'm seeing it a lot on LinkedIn where people are literally, it, they're clearly putting in a question into ChatGPT and it, whatever answer it spits out, they're posting that as their LinkedIn content, whether that's as an individual or as an organization. And I think people see it a mile off because, again, going back to all the things we've talked about, there isn't that human element where there's a, a, an emotional attachment to it, an understanding of that particular service or outcome or client's challenge. That And again, this is why I just think that there'll be a place for it. Absolutely. It's going to make so many activities much easier to achieve. But I think it'll, whatever the data is, it'll always need finessing and having that human touch around it that shapes it in in, in an organization's language or personalizes it to, to their specific differentiator but i'm a fan of going on there and typing in random questions just to see if it's got an answer for me and it always comes up trump so it's going to be interesting how it develops which already is at a rate of nuts
0: yeah it's scary
1: quick isn't it it's frightening
0: (laughs) (laughs) coming back to the communication with buyers then so we've talked about points to hit and techniques you can implement what are some common mistakes that business use in their communications with buyers and how can they avoid them I think that
1: casting the nets too wide and, and not tailoring any of their communication in terms of mail shots or a cold calling I think that more research needs to be done to pinpoint y- your territory and when you segment that territory into transactional or strategic types of customers I think the mistake made is that if a service is relevant to each of each of the service pillars um, the uh, the territory people think that it's okay just to send that blanket email out or have the same type of conversation with all of those customers. Whereas if a more strategic customer is going to have completely different challenges and aspirations and goals and need a different type of approach to to really get to the bottom of what they're trying to achieve. And I just think, yeah, that, that's a mistake that I see a lot in the industry, to be honest. So, so yeah, that would be the
0: biggest one. It just further reinforces my point about Celine about detecting the fact that it wasn't a tailored communication. It wasn't a personalized email at all. It was just straight in the bin. There's an opportunity that could have been extremely fruitful because obviously Celine's an author.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And and this goes back to that automation piece. There was a particular tool loom that I really liked that if that was received, you know, that individual that's speaking is going to say my name, is going to reference my organization, is going to specifically address the challenge that I told them I had and then go on to tell me what the solution to that problem is. And I know that takes more time to do And create those individual bespoke emails and proposals but i think that if you do it for the right target audience with the biggest potential return on that investment you're just going to differentiate yourself from the competition so that's a big reason why i think that's important too is is to be different and not just be another supplier to your customer
0: striking that balance though as you say because obviously there's only a certain number of hours in the day and where sales can very much be a numbers game yeah how do you think you can balance taking a bit more time to create that sort of messaging versus hitting your targets then how do you strike that balance do you think
1: i think it's just really knowing your territory and obviously that's organization that could be a different podcast on its own couldn't it but i'll come back and do that one pete yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'll be happy to but uh, but yeah you're right and i think it's just about organizing your own time and being strict that and understanding that this isn't something that you need to do. It's something that you have to do. It's some, it's not, I think a lot of people see planning as a necessary evil or something that's not exciting. But if you plan and use that time wisely, the time spent then following up, having conversations and meetings with that particular customer that you've done the research on, it's just going to mean that your output's so much more beneficial and the sales revenues driven from that is def- definitely going to be positively affected.
0: Following on from that then, having said that sales is obviously measured by the numbers and that sort of things. So when it comes to measuring effectiveness of your communication to your buyers, what metrics do you think we should be paying attention to?
1: I think the only really true measure, in my humble opinion, is the resulting sales revenue. You've got things like conversion rates and if you're doing a marketing campaign things like click rates they're metrics that certain departments will pay attention to but at the end of the day the resulting orders whilst it's hard to quantify the ROI it's the metric that truly tells you if you're communicating effectively because that's what you're there you know that's the result that you're you're there to do that's your job in in sales any anything around effective communication is there to result in a strong relationship it's perfectly there for the long term but ultimately, is that resulting sales revenue and the value that you give to that customer? Which, if they're placing business with you, you're clearly addressing what their needs are. So, yeah, the resulting sales revenue is the only true measure that I think. I
0: suppose it's the name of the game, isn't it? Same. Absolutely, so, Pete. I'm going to start to to wrap this conversation up now. But it's been a real joy to chat to you all about. No, same uh, to you. Effective communication with buyers. If there was one top tip that you could offer to the listeners of the b2b sales playbook when it comes to effective communication with buyers what is that one golden rule they should always adhere to
1: i think just put yourself in the shoes of that buyer take away what your selfish goals are which obviously is to generate business but if you're trying to get under the bonnet for want of a better phrase and really get into the head of the buyer to understand what it is that is keeping them up at night make it personal what is it that's stopping that individual being happy progressing in their career managing their p&l being successful get an understanding of that through putting yourself in their shoes and i think you'd be surprised at how much you draw out from that which then helps you shape the solution that you're going to put forward for that particular buyer that that's what i would say is really important and obviously there's peripheral things around that which is positivity and trustworthy and, and openness i think You do that whilst putting yourself in their shoes. I think it's a good combination to, and maybe not the perfect combination, obviously it's my opinion, but that would would be my my advice and
0: thought to leave behind. Fantastic stuff. Pete Murphy, thank you so much for joining me for the B2B Sales Playbook. Thanks for having me, Joe. Really nice to talk to you. Well, there you go. Pete Murphy on the Communicating with Buyers Playbook there. Here are our key takeaways. Effective communication with buyers is important for establishing trust, credibility and repeat business. Active listening, asking the right questions and engaging in meaningful conversations can provide valuable insights into the buyer's needs and pain points. Effective communication post-sale is crucial for resolving issues and proving one's own worth as a partner or customer. Automation and AI have a place in enhancing service organizations like Nebula, but human interaction and building relationships remain vital. Thanks so much to Pete for joining me for this chat and thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe to the B2B Sales Playbook podcast and give us a five-star rating where possible. We'll be back next week with another excellent B2B Sales Playbook podcast.